When Ricky grows a mustache to get into the movies, Lucy wears a beard in protest. But when it doesn't come off, she has a choice to make. The Queen of the Nile has arrived. It's time for the mustache. Hello, my beautiful Tropicanas. Welcome back to The Ricardo Project, the podcast where we watch through I Love Lucy episode by episode and talk about its historical, emotional, and comedic impact. My name is Dana, and I'm so glad you've joined me today for season one, episode 23, The Mustache, which premiered 70 years ago today on March 17th, 1952. So here's what happens in The Mustache. Lucy and Ricky are getting ready for a night out with the Mertzes, and Ricky comes out of the bathroom with this, like, very small amount of peach fuzz on his face, which he gleefully calls his mustache. It's so cute. He is so proud of this very limited amount of facial hair. But Lucy is aghast. She says she doesn't like this look on Ricky because it's not – he can't grow it enough. So Ricky starts to fill it in with eyebrow pencil, and Lucy says that he's tried this before. It never works out. It doesn't grow in well. They're at an impasse. The Mertzes arrive just in time to break the great mustache tie of 1952, and they both immediately like it before Lucy can prime them to grease the wheels to say it's horrible. And Lucy is pissed off. She's so mad. Ricky announces that he's growing the mustache because he has an audition for a movie called Moon Over Baghdad. Which is to say, he might get an audition for Moon Over Baghdad because his agent has a friend whose brother-in-law knows the talent scout's wife. Lucy doesn't buy any of it for a second. And I love seeing Lucy as a cynical one in the group. It's just such a fun spin because the Mertzes are so excited because they think now they have a chance to be in the movies as well. Fred and Ricky leave, but Ethel and Lucy decide to stay behind to scheme, and Lucy decides she's going to glue on a fake mustache and refuse to take it off until Ricky shaves. So Fred brings her this, like, beard-mustache combo from his vaudeville trunk. It's it's a very, like, old-school – it's very it's Colonel Sanders. I mean, that's really all it is. It's Colonel Sanders, which I think they know. They make references later. So Fred attaches it with what he thinks is spirit gum, and Grandpa Ricardo is born. Ricky comes home a little bit later, and the standoff does not last long. Ricky gives in almost immediately, but he looks – so sad about shaving. Unfortunately, Lucy can't get her beard off. She calls Fred and he says the last time he used it was 1925, but that spirit gum shouldn't go bad. Ricky gets the bottle and it turns out that it's not spirit gum. It's something called Bulldog Cement, which tickles Ricky pink. It can only be taken off with this special remover. And Ricky calls the drugstore to get it, and it turns out they don't make it anymore. And he is just enjoying this schadenfreude while Lucy laments that this beard is going to stay on her face forever. The next morning, Ethel comes in to check on Lucy, who walks into the apartment dressed in a mighty fine suit, playing the role of a Southern gentleman. She went to the drugstore in this to try to get the beard off. Ethel decides to try to think of an option, and she suggests tying a string to the beard, then tying the other end to a flat iron and throwing it to rip the beard off. And then she suggests burning it off. I mean, these are the worst ideas I've ever heard. Luckily, Ethel's brainstorming ends pretty quickly because Fred found a drugstore in Chicago that will get the remover there by the next day. But of course, just then Ricky calls to say that the talent scout is going to come to their apartment tonight. Ricky's very casual about the beard thing on this phone call. Like, 
Ricky, this is quite the thing to explain. Like, why does your wife suddenly have this like long, luxurious, beautiful beard on her face? Lucy takes scissors to the beard, hoping to cut it off in time. We do not see the results yet. So that night, Ricky and the talent scout arrive. The scout is clearly interested in having a night off, but not in this house. Ricky immediately starts in. He shows him this big scrapbook, but his pitch is cut short because Ethel and Fred just burst through the door doing this insane performance. Ethel is trying to do what she claims is an Egyptian number. She refers to herself earlier in the episode as the Queen of the Nile. She has a Victrola taped to her back. That's how she's playing the music. It's a very funny visual cue. And Fred is doing this hand puppet routine where his hand is a snake and it bites his nose and it bites the talent scout. And they're quickly rejected by him, but it is really cute. And you get this sense of what the Mertzes were like in their vaudeville days. And to be honest, I'd pay the dime to see them. Absolutely 100%. This seems very fun. Ricky apologizes to the scout and says, I'm just going to put on some music to relax. But then he immediately begins singing a big show number about going to Cuba. I personally love this song. It's one of my favorite songs that Ricky sings. Maybe because it's the only performance in the whole episode that isn't like a wee bit uncomfy due to the cultural appropriation. But anyway, the scout is still not impressed. He just wanted a night off, this poor guy. But then to just keep the pile on going, Lucy comes out and she's doing like an Arabian style number, which is like a good enough performance for Lucy, but it's also terrible. Like she has some basic moves, but there's no elegance. She's stomping her feet instead of gliding. And instead of being seductive with these scarves, she ends up kind of beating the talent scout in the face with them. This poor guy. But randomly, once the number's over, he actually thinks it was good. And he asks to see her face because the plot needs to move along. And Ricky takes off her veil to reveal a chopped up but still very present beard and mustache. We cut to what I'm assuming is a couple days later. Lucy has no beard and Ricky is getting a screen test. And it turns out that they want to test Lucy too, to play the part of his father. And that's the episode. So what did we think? Okay, first of all, Hollywood's obsession with non-white cultures and portraying them using white people has been a consistent problem that the industry is still dealing with. This is not unique to Hollywood. There's tons of work across all mediums to push for accurate representation, but it it it's 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 still an issue and it's still something that we need to advocate for. So, and, but just to frame this in context, you know, for Hollywood, movies about white people hanging out in other cultures were very prevalent at the time. It was couched under an umbrella term of like adventure movies, which is basically just to say like white people hanging out in quote unquote exotic places. These were very popular and it's uncomfortable now to see, you know, kind of a version of that on this show which I think is a good thing that that shows us that society's moving forward, you know, standards and what's considered harmful, helpful, appropriate are constantly changing. And that's a really good thing. It means that we are listening and inviting more people to the table and evolving. So yes, this is uncomfortable. And, um, I'm, I'm glad, you know, in a, in a way I'm kind of glad <laughs> that we have moved forward enough to recognize that this is uncomfortable. Um, that said, it's also so ridiculous. I mean, we've addressed this before. 
I Love Lucy does tread the line. Um, in my mind, I'm more than open to being corrected to everything I'm about to say, by the way. Um, the jokes here are not at the culture's expense. I mean, Fred, Ethel, and Lucy, they look like idiots because they, as characters, are being idiots. You know, they're not, it's not that the, the culture is not really a part of the joke. It's kind of a means to an end of the joke. Um, so the culture that they're misrepresenting is not really a factor in like the laughter at all. I hope that makes sense. Um, though it is interesting that the only person of color in the cast is also the only person to perform um, a song representing their own culture, but that's just 2022 eyes talking. Anyway, um, I think it's important to acknowledge these moments of discomfort um, and, you know, to recognize that, like the show can still be great and we can still recognize its importance and its contributions while also, you know, nothing is perfect, especially something from 70 years ago. You know, today when the, in 70 years when they're listening to this podcast, as if anyone's going to be listening to this in 70 years, but in 70 years, you know, when we're watching the TV of today that we think is like very, you know, sensitive and um, respectful, there's going to be problems with it. That is a really good thing. Anyway, here's where I find a lot of value in this episode. So a common criticism of the show is that Lucy Ricardo is innocent and childlike and, you know, she's kind of naive and she's infantilized. Um, But to me, this episode really highlights the other facet of Lucy's personality. Because in this episode, she's cynical and she's bossy and her voice is really low pitched. And until she's in a pickle with the glue on her face. I mean, she's very firmly in control. She's sassy and kind of critical and a little bit bossy. And I just really like this because to me, this is what I think of when I think of Lucy. The plot of the episode has to spiral. Every episode of I Love Lucy has to spiral. And usually Lucy's at the center of that spiral. But she's in the power position at the start. She doesn't even really get that excited at the beginning when Ricky mentions the agent. I mean, she does later once the train is off the tracks, but when Ricky first mentions it, she's like, oh, sure, like you're going to get a movie audition. And also, please go down this rabbit hole with me briefly. I'm still working through my thoughts on this, but like, this is what I have. So even once she's in the fool position, it's like she has the beard. She's clearly the source of comic relief in the in the episode. She's the one who's silly, right? Like at the beginning of the episode, Lucy is making fun of how silly Ethel, Fred, and Ricky are being. And then she kind of swaps places with them once she has the, the beard and mustache on. So once she's in that fool position, she puts on a suit and she plays the role of a colonel to go out in society, which I just love. You know, the show isn't afraid to step away from these traditional gender roles that I think sometimes people really box I Love Lucy into. Like, nobody mocks Lucy for dressing as a man. It's presented as logical to get to the drugstore without asking questions. And the comedy here comes from her so firmly putting on the role of this, like, sophisticated gentleman. Because the reality is that cross-dressing, you know, quote-unquote, has been used in comedy for centuries in many different forms. Um, But at this time, and to be honest, like up until just a few years ago, a lot of gender-swapped performances were men dressing as women and the joke being like, look how silly that man looks dressed as a woman. But I Love Lucy uses that gender swap as a means to an end in the same way that like Shakespeare used it in Twelfth Night, which I really love. 
Is this reading too much into it? Maybe, probably, but I'm a student of this form and I love the way that this show uses it. I mean, think about other instances of people, quote unquote, cross-dressing in comedy at this point. Like, does anyone in this episode ever say she's less of a woman um, or hideous or any of these things because she has a beard on her face? Like, it's upsetting that she has a beard on her face and she doesn't like it. It's not who she is, but nobody's you know, complaining that she's failed in her like womanly duties, which is kind of what I think we expect when we're like predetermining and prejudging a show from the 50s. But this show consistently doesn't really care about that. They'll they'll do a lot of gender swapped dressing in Lucy asks or um they'll do a lot of gender swapped dressing in Ricky asks for a raise, but that time it'll be Fred doing it. And across the board, like there's no toxic masculinity because of that, it's just like plain fun. And that's that's really radical, especially for the time period. And I I love to see it. Anyway, I hope that that like weird ramble about gender politics um, was interesting to you. It's just something I was thinking about a lot. I was like, what is this? What does this say? This is a spin on these classic Shakespearean plots, you know? Anyway, Um Okay, time for some historical notes, and we have actually quite a few. So first of all, we have a first this episode, which is that this is the first time um, we're hearing anything about Ricky's movie career, which is very exciting. They won't go to Hollywood until season four, but the seeds are planted even now. Um, He got a test for the lead at the end, but nothing ever comes of it. I'm going to assume that Moon Over Baghdad got shelved, or I'm going to assume because the letter says that... um, they want Lucy to screen test for his father, and then they start laughing really hard that this is like a prank that Ricky played on Lucy. But either way, this is the first we hear about the idea that Ricky could be in movies. So we had a guest star this episode, John Brown. He played the talent scout. And this is and and I could not find much about him, but that seems intentional because, you know, we've talked a lot about the Red Scare last week and, you know, the weeks before. Um and uh, he was one of the people who was blacklisted in the industry for refusing to name names. And that was by the end of 1952, so by the end of the year that he filmed this. Um, and he did very little work after that, and he died of a heart attack in 1957. And he has a very Gail Gordon kind of energy about him, and so I wonder if he hadn't been blacklisted if he would have been in more episodes of the show as it went on. Um, so that's a very, I'm sorry, that's a very sad side note. And and then additionally, when Ricky is showing John Brown's character his scrapbook um, to try to like pitch himself, he talks about his first role when he got to New York was being in a Broadway play called Too Many Girls, which was Desi Arnaz's actual first real life role on Broadway. And the movie adaptation is where the Arnezes met. Um, and I looked at the plot of Too Many Girls. And it sounds really wild. I've never actually watched this movie. I, it's one of those things I've always intended to do, but haven't. Maybe I'll do it on our season one hiatus. But here is the basic plot line of Too Many Girls, in case you haven't seen it. So Connie Casey, played by Lucille Ball, an energetic celebrity heiress, wants to go to Stopgap, New Mexico, to be near her latest beau, British playwright Beverly Waverly. <laughs> To protect her, and without her knowledge, her tycoon father sends four Ivy League football players as her bodyguard, who sign a contract with an anti-romance clause. 
So I'm assuming she falls in love with one of them. Um, I would like to imagine it's Desi Arnaz, but I'm, I know kind of just from like my colloquial knowledge of the movie that, um, and their love story that it is not. Um, but there you go. <laughs> That's the plot. Um, and he also mentions that he played at the Copacabana. We've talked about the Copacabana before. That's where they want to go in the very first episode. But the Copacabana was a real nightclub, not just the, you know, stuff of Barry Manilow's uh, dreams and nightmares. And um, the Copacabana actually very sadly just closed in 2020. Um, it had moved around a lot in New York City, but was still open. And it and it finally officially closed in 2020 during the COVID pandemic's height in New York City. So. So that's it. Next week, we're going to be talking about the gossip. Uh, And here's the logline for that. Ricky and Fred make a bet with Lucy and Ethel to see who can go longer without gossiping. But they make it hard for them by planting a phony story too juicy to pass up. I love this episode. Uh, Both the gossip and the mustache were episodes that were on my little Lucy tapes. I'm really excited to watch this one again. Um, And so we will be back next Thursday with that. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends. These are the absolute best ways to help the show. Uh, On another note, I I said this last week, but I'm looking ahead to our summer programming um, when we're on hiatus between season one and season two. If there is a topic you'd like me to tackle during that time, you know, please let me know. I want you to love those episodes. So anything I know you're interested in is super helpful. You can email me those ideas or send them to me via Instagram, whatever. Um, And with that, I will see you next week for The Gossip. Thank you so much for listening to The Ricardo Project. It means more to me than you know. If you'd like to get in touch for any reason whatsoever, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can reach me on Instagram at The Ricardo Project, on Twitter at Ricardo underscore project, and by email at thericardoproject at gmail.com. All three of those are also in the show notes for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast and telling a friend about it. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I will be back on March 24th with the gossip.